0: what's up everybody we're back another episode of the ex performance podcast this week we're going to switch it up a little bit and instead of talking about a certain topic or or a question that we've received we're going to do an athlete case study and specifically we're going to talk about tension limited tactical athletes and Jeremy and I both have multiple tactical athletes that we work with and have worked with for a long time. Um, and as we've talked about in some of other episodes, we kind of chunk everyone into one of three primary limiters. Like everybody has, has a little bit of each, but primary limiters. And then we're gonna get into how we address programming to attack those limiters and make them more well-rounded athletes. So that's kind of the flow of things. Uh, obviously, we're still kicking it remote style. Um, but for a lot of our in-town athletes, uh, they've seen some of this in person. Some changes I've made coming up, and some Jeremy has with some of his athletes, and just in general, you know, our numbers show it's working. So we'll post some other videos and things later. I think uh, Jeremy's got some good stories. Some of his female tactical athletes. I got one who just passed the first part of RASP two today. The entry of Ranger Regiment. She's killing it. Um, so not only do we have the talking points, we've got the results to back it. And I think that's huge for our audience. Um, because the tactical world doesn't have stats. Like it doesn't have Friday night lights. It doesn't have an NFL combine. So a lot of times you just go by word of mouth and and we like to say our athletes are our resume and and luckily our athletes are doing really well. So with that, um, we'll start with what I think is a tactical athlete. So when I think tactical athlete, a lot of people are asking me about certain numbers and metrics and lifts. I think a a tactical athlete is a high quality critical thinker. What I mean by that is, it's not typically how much they bench, squat, or run. It's not, uh, you know, some physical metric, but it's a physical skill set that supports their decision making. So if they're not redlining while doing a physical event, they can make a better decision. If they're not redlining or trying to keep up with the team, they can shoot more accurately. So that's what I define as a tactical athlete. So, you know, with that, Jeremy, do you got anything different or, or how do you see it?
1: Uh, just along the same lines, that I look at, I mean, big fan of that triphasic tactical training qualities that they released that released. Um released. The main kind of thing that I look at as well on top of that is just that when I look at a tactical athlete, they're just so well-rounded um, over time. Like you had mentioned, they're able to keep their heart rate lower um, so that they could, they could perform other tasks. And, and to me, there needs to be an emphasis when you're a tactical athlete, but there's no competition date or there's no like test day. Sure. We have, selections ensure we have periods in which we need to be more fit however at any given moment any of our athletes can sit there and take a PT test or do a 12-mile run go to the range not eat food like these are all aspects that to me tactical athletes deal with that maybe your traditional CrossFit and or said sport athlete doesn't deal with because they know their day on a day-to-day basis.
0: No I, I think that's perfect man one thing I say is like the tactical athlete to me is on-demand performance. It's, it's the mm-hmm. Netflix of the performance world, right? Anytime, any place you got to perform, there, there's going to be some limitations with that, right? A sport-specific athlete gets the luxury of knowing the rules. They get the luxury of knowing when and where they're going to compete. They get the luxury of knowing usually what the event's going to be. But with our tactical athletes, specifically early on in their pipeline and in their career, they kind of know the constraints of some of the courses they're in. But as they get later on into their, you know, their career, both both tactically and, and as they get older, um, there's this combination of their technical skills, like how they think, how they shoot, what they understand. And just, you know, honestly, myself as a good example, is a declining physical ability. we got to balance both. Mm-hmm. So over the course of a career, and we're talking literally decades for some of our tactical athletes, it's got to be this balance of on-demand performance. And then what I like to say is a little bit of racehorse and a little bit of Viking. You know, a lot of times we, we take our sport athletes and and they are – peaked at the right time, right place to put on a show. They're gonna, you know, go and compete. But with that sometimes comes the, the downfall of the prima donna attitude. Like, well, I need my certain rest days, my sleep, my perfect nutrition. Sometimes our tactical athletes just have to go to that Viking spot, just keep on rowing, mm-hmm. keep on battling, keep on fighting. But it's our job as the coaches to, to kind of outline that map, right time, right place when we can, and prepare them, or what I say is make a more resilient athlete, so when they get pulled away from their baseline, they can bounce back faster. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too. <laughs>
1: Jeremy's getting attacked over there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what that is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: uh, anyways. Was, uh, Jeremy taking uh, incoming fire yeah. or something like that.
1: Yeah, classic uh, IHG hotels, huh? (laughs) Um, Anyways, um, I think it's important to note too with tactical athletes that like your traditional weekly syncing, like um, how you lay out a week doesn't always look the same. With the fact that sometimes people work until eight o'clock at night, like it's not a traditional weekly schedule where all of a sudden now it's like, hey, it's two o'clock, my athletes are supposed to train. In reality, that's not always the truth. Right? Yeah. So I think oftentimes coaches sit there and be like, oh, well, my weekly sequencing is this, 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 and they have to hit it that way or else um, like they're not going to make gains. Like, well, not necessarily. Like you said, you have to go to a Viking spot at some point and be able to train through that.
0: Yeah, man. And, and you know, with my tactical athletes, I think that, you know, a common theme is the reason they want to work with us is is tactical athletes are – typically have more constraints than like a sport athlete, but less of them are controllable. what I mean by that is like, you know, they have to go to the field for a certain amount of time. They have to do certain things throughout the day, go to meetings, go to these other things that literally detract from performance, like sitting in a meeting Mm -hmm. three, four, eight hours a day, or sitting in class that long, and then being expected to perform at the drop of a hat at a high level, it's counterproductive. And it's actually like pulling you in, in competing directions. So a lot of my tactical athletes like they want us to work around the constraints that they can control. Hey, I can only get 3 days this week and it's 45 minutes at a time and I'm working out in a tent with a single kettlebell. All right, let's do damage control training. Other times it's they've got everything in the world and it's almost a trap because on some of these deployment timelines they can work out 12 hours a day, but they shouldn't. So that's where we got to balance that. Look at the big picture for them and a lot of times with my tactical athletes is just pointing them in the right direction giving handrails and, and they'll do the rest versus some of my sport athletes, man, I got to hold their hand the whole way through. <laughs> what do I do next coach? Yeah. What do I do next coach? Yeah. And it's interesting
1: to note too, because typically in a military tactical athlete, right? Well, we mentioned it a while back, like not everyone's a tactical athlete. Um, but if we look at the tactical athletes, typically they're more type a personalities. So they always want more. They're always wanting to hunt for it. Um, We'll probably talk about this in a different episode, but quick story. I have a tactical athlete that literally deploys every six weeks, every six weeks. he, He goes overseas. and So his always question is, is not, Hey, can we get better, faster, stronger? It's quite literally in the six weeks, I need to get him healthy. So he goes overseas and then while he's there, we still train, but it's more or less damage control, making sure he's just moving properly, still burning some calories while he's snacking down MREs um and then he comes back and then it's a rebuild process a week and a half of it's just to fix his gut right and like and a lot of times tactical athletes are sitting here like i need to do more kit runs and all that shit it's like bro you just got back from a little three-month deployment. like you need to not eat jacked up food for a week and a half <laughs> before we give you any sort of aerobic capability so little things like that
0: hormones yeah. All that stuff, man yeah they you know that's that's what we're there for they forget about that So we're going to take it specifically for this episode into what we call a tension limited tactical athlete. So for the audience, like, you know, obviously go listen to some of the episodes that talk about limiters, but we kind of chunk it into three limiters, right? So delivery is, is a, uh, easy way of saying the heart and lungs can't push through the tension that your muscles create and deliver oxygen or, or remove byproducts. What does that person typically look like? A lot of my CrossFitters, very muscle bound, high power, high tension athletes, they just don't have the heart and lungs to overdrive that tension. The other one we have is kind of what we call respiratory uptake. They are actually, it sounds counterintuitive, but their biggest limiter is the fact that they breathe so well, they can't actually put out a lot of power and they're, they pace too much, I'll say. Not that's a bad thing, but uh, they never have that high gear. It's really hard for them to put on strength, really hard for them to put on muscle, you name it. But then the last one is what we call our tension-limited athletes. And Jeremy and I talk about tension more so than strength and power, because tension is is a combination of your muscles and your nerves, call it your motor units, being able to fire in unison to complete a task. So a lot of times we say that our tension-limited tactical athletes can run all day and night, can can you know endure with the best of them. But they're lacking in what most people would call strength and power, but we look at it as tension. So, Jeremy, you got anything to add to that for a tension limited tactical athlete?
1: No, I mean I think it's just important to note as we get into these kind of case studies that we're gonna go through that. You know, I was just talking to someone actually had Jim out here, you start asking questions and um, that was one thing I mentioned to you. I think it's important to know if you understand those three, training has to look different between all three of those. The goal can be the same. Completely. A lot of people, like that is so key that I think a lot of people look past, even coaches. Like the goal is always the same. How you attack it has to be different for each three of those. So when we get into this, man, you covered it pretty well. Just kind of note what that looks like. May not be you if you're a respiratory or cardiac limited athlete.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great segue. I mean, my next note was why this is important. It's exactly that. So, unlike a, let's use football because it's very, very common to most of our listeners, don't know that, but think of a team sport. Um, Because our tactical athletes, by and large, are on some team construct. But unlike football, where everybody is going to have a certain kind of build in a certain position, right? Like you're not going to find an NFL lineman that's probably less than 300 pounds. You're not going to have, you know, receivers that are over, you know, two bills or two and a half bills. You got some big ones. But the reason is the sport specifically selects for a certain body type for a certain position. Meanwhile, our tactical athletes, they have an objective, right? A mission, a goal, a thing. And it doesn't matter if you're five foot six and 160 pounds, like one of my tactical athletes right now, or if you're 6'6, six, six, 260, like one of my other athletes that we'll talk about, former a and football player. So the thing is, it's important because like you mentioned, if we don't shift training to remove their biggest limiters, we're never going to fully maximize their potential. All right, so you know, when we talk about tension, um, and specifically with tactical athletes, one of the biggest things we run into is, is everybody thinks tactical athletes is synonymous with things like best ranger, things like really long endurance events, and things like you know 24 hour races. And so I see the issue arise a lot of times with um, tactical athletes that come to us who are tension limited, which means phenomenal aerobic conditioning, amazing endurance, usually really great at body weight things, but they're not highly athletic. So the term we say is highly trained versus highly athletic. Why is that important? First and foremost is body control. Some of the biggest things we we talk about with tension is right tension, right time, right place. So a lot of my athletes come in, especially tactical athletes with an endurance background, and when they're running in a straight line and they're doing push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, it's great. But the first time they're asked to change direction, change speed, change levels, or put themselves in a compromising position, we really start to see the wheels fall off. And it's not just a, a lack of performance. It's really a risk for injury. And for these athletes, that can be career changing. Yeah, because I think as well, you get into, um,
1: like, firing motor units as well. Like, <laughs> they're so fit that it's like, hey, we need to work on strength. And they're just, like, not utilizing enough energy to get strong. Um, because they just can't create that tension that is required because they're just so fit aerobically. Um, And then you, again, you ask them to do that athletic adventure and it's like, well, hold on. (laughs) I don't know what to do here.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yep. And that's where, you know, for us, when we talk about limiters and, and versus peak performance, a lot of people who will take from the CrossFit world or take from, you know, endurance training world and try to apply it to a tactical athlete is totally disregarding the protective function of strength and the protective function of power. Um, We're not talking about making them Olympic lifters. We're not talking about making them world-class power lifters. We're talking about some of the, the traits and attributes that those athletes have when strapped on to that tactical athlete frame can be potent. And why is that important? There's no valedictorian award for being the fastest, the strongest, the whatever. But if you are the slowest and don't pass an event, or have a major weakness, it might get you dropped. And so it doesn't matter if you've got a, a, you know, four and a half minute mile. If you can't carry your weight, carry your load, and do what the team demands are, because we have to have as few limiters as possible with our tactical athletes.
1: That thing is important too. If you look at even just mission sets, like missions aren't a single modality, (laughs) Like, like for lack of a better term, like they're like. Anything could happen where you need to display in a form of athleticism, rather it be climbing over a wall, getting over a fence, crawling through a small tunnel. Like all these things are possible in our world. And I think it's important to note that if you can't simply do a power clean, which is an explosive movement, change direction, and all of a sudden you're running on target and you go over a wall, like, what's your next move?
0: <laughs> yep. And, and then when things aren't perfectly controlled and, and you don't have a, a, a good environment, um, or like you have an unstable environment around you. And the first time you're ever like absorbing force dropping off of an object, the next thing you know, you're blown out of ACL on target. You just became a liability. And so yeah. I think that's where a lot of people will confuse the selection events and the modalities used to weed people out with what makes a long-term successful tactical athlete. So they see the gates that people have to get through, push-ups, sit-ups, five-mile run, ruck marches of certain distances, things like that, that are literally used to weed people out. They're not used to be developmental or produce someone that goes late into their career at a high level. So people want to chase that destruction attitude. And what it really turns into is, is a lack of peak performance and injury and illness.
1: Yeah, no, can I agree more?
0: So when we go back to it, you know, one of the reasons we pick tension-limited tactical athletes is because Jeremy and I both have a few of them in our, in our portfolio of athletes right now. And What that means is we've got some athletes that are literally world-class runners, rowers, um, endurance athletes of certain types. But when it comes to some of our foundational strength metrics that we use in our assessments, whether it's a power clean or a squat or a deadlift, whatever you want to call it, they're severely lacking. And so once again, when we look at our tactical athletes being needing to be a well-rounded person, we need to get into a training method. And you know, for us it's concurrent training, that doesn't cost them that endurance. Because sure, it'd be easy to just say, hey, stop doing endurance things and go train, you know, like a power lifter, go to some west side programming, go to some Windler stuff. But then we yeah. just need their strength a weakness. And we can't have that. Were you gonna say something, during?
1: Yeah, I was just going to, like, like I mean, that's when we get into, like, the training or the traphasic tactical qualities. Like, it's that balanced picture. Like, like we can't have them be so one-sided and expect them to still perform at a high level. Like, I tell that's people clear. all the time, your tactical athletes aren't CrossFit athletes.
0: <laughs> your
1: tactical athletes aren't bodybuilders. Like, it's someone that can perform all domains really well.
0: And that's it. So like, you know, with with our tactical athletes kind of taking it from from cradle to grave. So like starting out, a lot of our athletes just will find us typically either before or shortly after starting some of the military special operations pipelines. And we kind of see some trends emerge. So when we see someone with a very high aerobic ability, they can run really far, really fast. Um, They can, you know, ruck and do those body weight things. When we start to get into testing, and we see a strength deficit it's important for us to train them in a way that doesn't cost them at the things we we're just talking about so when we're trying to change tension in a tactical athlete and their ability to create force right be strong be powerful enough it comes with the understanding that we're trying to add just enough strength just enough power but keep their conditioning at a high level. So that when they're doing certain things, they're using less bandwidth, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're able to run and ruck and do all these other things without taking as much out of them. But at the same time, when they get into something like team week, or they get into something like certain assessment events, where they have to lift odd objects and carry them, when they have to build certain apparatuses that don't move well, and it just requires grunt work, they're not going to be left shortchanged because they're strong enough. And the the flip side of that is training someone like a bodybuilder or training someone like a powerlifter where we just train for mass. And now we actually cost them more energy, right? One more ounce at the ankle over the course of a kilometer is like 7% more energy need. Now that's where it's more, recover more and everything else. We don't want to train them like bodybuilders because that's actually dangerous to what they're going to do.
1: Yep. And just to kind of, for everyone listening to put that in perspective of what that looks like, I'll use Joe as an example. Um, Joe's an athlete of mine that is, um, in a special operations training course. Um, he is a tension limited athlete and he came to me having some knee pain, um, phenomenal, like what, he placed second best ranger, right? Uh,
0: um, I don't know if it's that high, but he did best ranger as a lieutenant, which is almost yep. unheard of. Usually it's a much yep. more senior person. Yeah, he's, so the kid's a
1: stud. Um, we're talking like five minute mile repeats. Um, however, he's having some knee pain, you know, you go to put a ruck on for three, four months at a time, that's going to exaggerate over time. So the first thing that I had him do for no joke, I think it was three or four weeks, luckily Corona. So he didn't have too much to bitch about and, <laughs> and, and kind of come back at me for, but uh, a lot of single leg work with heavy, heavy tempo. And sure. There's the aspect of looking at it from like a, I would say a novice coach would be like, Oh, you just had limited equipment. Like, no, like he was actually going down in dumbbells because I had to load him with such a tempo that stresses his neuromuscular system to fire his entire quad. And once we went through about two or three weeks of firing the entire quad, now he's able to control that position. He's able to earn it. We're not putting on tons of mass, doing hypertrophy training, oh, four sets of 12 or four sets of 10, rest one minute between, like not doing German volume training here, but we're doing just good neuromuscular training that's gonna allow him to fully fire that quad. And I would say after about three, four weeks of that, Knee pain gone away, able to back squat fully, like comfortably too. And then, additionally, since we're not putting on all that extra mass, his runtime stayed phenomenal. so yeah, that's, that's, that's a, kind of an example.
0: A very common uh, finding in a lot of our tactical athletes, right? Like they're these glass cannons. They can go really far, really fast, but they're on the verge of breaking if they go too hard at a certain time. And you just can't have that for our tactical athletes. One, like in a training construct, like kind of where Joe's at, some people are at, like you're going to fail or at least get recycled. In, you know, real world op- operational demands, that could be lies on the line. So for us doing something exactly like you said, like taking them back, doing some tempo work, doing some pause work, like we're building tendon strength. We're building some of the connective tissues that people just don't address in, in bro training and typical CrossFit training, which for our tactical athletes can literally be career changing. You know, the same thing with just energy efficiency and, and use utilization, like a lot of our endurance athletes can never, I won't say never, but they don't go fast enough or heavy enough in training to kind of tap into that peak potential. Sometimes, yeah, that hard, right? Sometimes that's good. Other times when they need it, they don't know how to use that high gear and they lack the ability to create tension quickly, or they lack the ability to create a lot of it when they need to overcome a force lift something heavy, fight another human in some of the hand-to-hand training stuff. And so that's huge for us. We don't ever want to leave them, um, you know, shortchanged with, with that kind of training. Yeah, I, think, I was just going to mention that. Like,
1: I think tempo oftentimes in this scenario, people don't know why they're using it. But for me, when I assign people like this tempo, one, it, it um, essentially enables reliability it's so like we know that they're earning the position and getting stronger over time because we're putting a controlled effort onto the barbell or dumbbell whatever it said be movement um, but additionally like joe is so aerobically fit that he can't produce that much power and then if he does it's such a short amount of time he's not able to produce lactate enough to get him to fatigue so we put let's say a five second tempo for Five reps, well, now we're working twenty five seconds of work. For him, that's now starting to get hard, but in the traditional uh, models of like, oh, you only did five reps. well, that's the difference between maybe working five reps or twenty five seconds of work, like which one's more important? In my opinion, it's, they're kind of one and the same. It's just a different way of attacking it.
0: yeah, and that's that's just you know going back to training and and how we do it. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of these athletes will come to us who, who did row splits, like chest and tries, back and bys, that sort of thing, with some, some endurance running. And it worked, and it might have got them to where they at, were at, or, or they're just naturally gifted, but that doesn't mean it's the best option. And so when we talk about training for fatigue, we talk about training different styles of things. A lot of what you and I program for is, is controlling the nervous system. Like the muscles and the tissue, that stuff kind of takes care of itself. But like regulating the nervous system sometimes it's to modulate tension some of these tactical athletes just have poor posture and they're tight in certain areas you know rotating their shoulders forward arching their back but then other times they just can't control that and they're like pool noodles just getting you know floppy when they're trying to go fast so by teaching tension by having them do sets and reps that might be atypical you know not three to five sets eight to twelve reps to to gain hypertrophy What we're actually doing is is teaching them to recruit more muscle at the right time, but also to relax it at the right time and to not have any inefficiencies in their movement versus a power lifter, like let's take a bodybuilder. If we do a cross section of their muscle, and I know a lot of people can't see me right now, but if we just cut a muscle fiber in half and looked at it down the length of it, like a bodybuilder would have a couple little fibers that are really big and a bunch of fluid in there. So it's cool, you know. bodybuilders relatively aren't that strong, but the muscles look a certain way. But that's what is easy to find on the internet. A lot of our athletes, we're training them to be very efficient. And when you look at that same cross-section of muscle fiber, we want a bunch of little fibers in there that move really well, can can get oxygen in and out really well. And now we're making a really efficient athlete who has a highly in-tuned nervous system. And now we can train them more efficiently, and they're just more athletic, not just being highly trained.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, you nailed it.
0: Yeah, so, you know, the last thing that we, we talk about a lot of our tactical athletes is, like, career longevity. So, you know, clearly a lot of our ones who are going through these pipelines and stuff, it's kind of selection bias, right? So we don't get a lot of athletes who aren't kind of driven, otherwise they wouldn't be wanting to do this kind of work. Yeah, admittedly we have some. We were like, hey, I, I heard you guys are doing good things. I want to try special forces, rangers, some other uh, special operations unit. You know, I've got a couple Marines and Air Force guys right now. And they, by design or by who they are, are, are driven to work. What that turns into later on in their career is work is their only, it's their, like, security blanket. So when it's like, hey, I need to do more. I need to do more. What got me here was outworking everybody a lot of times it's shifting gears for them because objectively we can show them, Hey, you're strong enough. You have, have been fast enough. As you get later into your career, it's about longevity. So now we're switching our training to be more uh, focused on maintenance, to be more focused on doing daily tasks really well and making it into their thirties and forties, keeping up with these 25 year olds that are new on the team.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, one of the main comments i usually get is these guys that maybe join mountain tactical athletes the softly crowd um typically on our on-ramp process and then even the first couple of weeks when we're figuring out uh relative volume in which they could handle they're like man this doesn't seem like i'm doing enough and luckily for us we can pull up past people we sent and passed with flying colors i'm like hey here's literally what this person did and they set records at a ruck time. Like they were the first person that finished. They didn't have any injuries. Like they're doing two, maybe three workouts a day. And it kind of hits them and then all of a sudden three, four weeks comes around and I usually get the same response out of a bunch of people. It's like, oh wow, I've never felt this good in my life. It's like, yeah, you're not running yourself into the dirt.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's I I think some people that's their badge of honor and they use it to uh, kind of cover for the lack of an intelligent training plan because i'll tell you right now i've played that game of death by volume who can work out more it doesn't mean who can work out better it doesn't mean what what objective measures are better and that's a very short-lived game yeah it works when you're young but when you get you know like i said 10 years on a team when you get 15 years into a military career you don't have that luxury anymore you're you're you've got miles on the chassis that aren't the same like training at at 25 is not the same at 35 and, and so on, and what I'm having to show a lot of those those older athletes is the fact that intelligent training, less of it, can be super impactful. But now it really becomes important. So when you're younger and your metabolism is great, and you you don't have all that mileage on you can get away with a lot. So you'll get some guys who get get later on in their career, they get skinny fat, they get some other stuff, and they're like, "What's going on, man? What's years of stress, years of of horrible eating and drinking?" That they were like, they could out train at the time, but eventually it's going to catch you. So a lot of what we do with our tactical athletes is high quality habits early. You know, teaching about eating, sleeping, respecting the body, respecting the nervous system more than just, hey, my bros are doing three different CrossFit competition workouts in a day. Why can't I? It's like, okay, do you want to stay with them or do you want to go on to the next thing? And I'm going gonna, I'm
1: gonna to take some time here, Chris, if you don't mind to just kind of explain what that looks like for someone yeah, like Joe. Um, so just to kind of give some background here, I mentioned before, very high aerobic level athlete, came to me with some knee pain. Um, so during the first couple of days, his main effort days so on Monday, he was doing an Iman that consists of uh Cossack squat. So essentially a single leg movement. Um, and then he would do box jumps. So if you just look at that piece right there, We're working unilateral movement, making sure he can get in the proper position, but then also working just a light box jump, not even a max effort, to produce power to jump. Um, From there, the same day, we're doing RNT Romanian deadlifts. If you don't know what RNT is, reactive neuromuscular training, it's essentially a distraction technique to get you to stabilize typically your hips and or the opposing muscle in which you're working. Um, So you're kind of getting two for one there with the Romanian deadlift into some five-way hips just making sure we can move our hips in active range of motion oftentimes we see these guys stiff as a board and we could take their leg and stress them in in multiple ways it's like okay lift your leg up four inches and they're shaking then their boots because they can't lift their hip in each direction um and then some nice intensity pieces and so we move forward in the week and we're doing stuff like glute bridges weighted pull-ups core stability with ghd hip extensions um get into some kind of dynamic effort stuff on Friday, Saturday with banded banded push presses, banded bench press, pull-ups. And then if you can imagine, if, if you build out the next two, three weeks, all it is is a progression of all those movements. Um, if you need, to, if you're questioning on how to progress something, get with us at a different time and we'll talk about that stuff. Um, and then from there, I would say we did that for about four weeks. And then we go into now, Four weeks later, I'm then putting a barbell on his back at a five zero times, five zero times one tempo, not even maximal effort. Because now we're changing over from that unilateral stability, working the RNT, working kind of rear foot elevated split squat, um, working core stability, all that to now load him axially through his shoulders at a back squat. And now let's see what you can control. And and sure, sure enough, three, four weeks of that. And we're working now at the same weight that he was maxing out before. But now he is no knee pain, moving really well, and he's setting his like fastest five miles every week.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's huge. And so you know, like same thing with a lot of my my tactical athletes right now. We touch a barbell like once a week uh, as we're getting ready for this big fall event that's coming up. And some of them, it's it's scary. Other ones, you know, because they they lived in the gym, they live with the barbell. For other ones, it's it's more than that because they're naturally. Um, aerobically predisposed and you know we've got him squatting or lunging or hinging three days a week right now because literally guys five six 160 he's going to carry a rucksack around that's 40 percent of his weight his body weight right now so you know that's kind of how we do it but same thing like a lot of people just completely neglect single leg work or on the other side of that come overdo it. You know, I've seen some uh, blog template programs because a lot of times with new athletes they will say, what have you been doing for the last six to eight weeks? And, you know, they'll hand me a cookie-cutter template thing and they're doing literally, I'm not even kidding when I say this, thousands of reps of knee flexion with box step-ups and everything else in a week. I'm not even kidding, man. You know, they had 20 and 30 minutes of box step-ups a couple times a week and then they wonder why their knees are just trashed because they're using a 24-inch box or a 20-inch box, and, and they're five foot six, and so yeah. you know they're wondering why their their body is just destroyed. Versus it's something that's interesting, controlling the patterns and then worrying about power output later.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I think something that's interesting too to know with these tension limited athletes that if they're so aerobically fit. Um, oftentimes, what I'll do for their cool downs is actually sustain their aerobic capability <laughs> yep. so we obviously all know the importance of cooling down it could reduce fatigue over time I mean there's been some studies that show just jumping on a bike for 10 minutes can can reduce your fatigue by 48 hours um, but like someone like Joe who's so aerobically fit his cool down sessions are six 400s at a sustainable pace yep. like for him that's so it's a it's a second nature for him but what he doesn't realize is okay he just did 50 reps of knee flexion and then a little bit of hinging. And now we're going to go do 400 meter repeats to kind of flush out the system, but also keep the skill because running the skill of running in his
0: mind. Yep. And that's where, you know, like, especially with my tension limited tactical athletes, you know, strength and power I'll I'll be fully candid. It's it's kind of hard in some athletes to get them to gain quote unquote. I'm not talking about size because with my tactical athletes, I really don't like adding a lot of size but I'm talking about the reason that they are so well versed at, at aerobic stuff is because they, they have the heart and lungs of a, of a dolphin. And so they can just push through anything. And so when I'm trying to create a localized response, you know, muscular response, like we have to do a lot more volume and a lot more pre-fatiguing type things sometimes to even get them to get the same response. It's like, yeah, I want to have someone do some lactic work Um, and next thing you know, their, their lactic workout would kill me, but they aren't even getting that response because they're so well conditioned. So we might do things like some blood flow restriction or like positional holds that keep them in those positions of tension longer. I'll give you one. I gave a guy today. It was a 10 meter sled sprint at double body weight, 10 cal bike as fast as he can, hopefully, you know, sub 15 seconds and then a 40 second wall sit. Because we're trying to develop some some strength and some localized power in there and these little hits and then a really, really, really long recovery to about about the puke. But you know, once again, those tactical athletes are so well um, developed at delivering oxygen and removing byproducts of exercise. If I'm trying to to drive mechanical tension, one of the main things that drives change in tissue, like they don't even do it. They can't even hit that. Um, just because they they don't know how to squeeze that muscle like they're supposed to.
1: Yeah,
0: no, I love that one. Ooh, I wish I wish I had that problem. But yeah, so
1: <laughs> in general, I always tell I always tell people too. It's always terrible for some of these athletes programming for them because it's like okay, cool, we'll get you strong, and then it's like they'll hit me up and be like, hey, I want to just kind of work on a little bit of my I want to feel aerobic again for like a day. And it's like what I have to program for them to be aerobic. <laughs> I know. Would be a a dog fight for me to do. one. like Trish, I mean, 800 meter repeats at a 2:34, like all day. I'm like, yeah.
0: I don't even know if I can run one of those. Insane, <laughs> insane. And then she'll come in and bench 200 pounds. Saw it today. But yeah, that's just it, man. You know, it's it's a lot of people forget that individualizing something to our athletes isn't just sets and reps, right? It's it's the response it's the time under tension, it's the uh, feeling they get after subjectively, but also we can measure it with some of the things we use. And we can really tell like, okay, did we create mechanical tension that was sufficient to change tissue? Yep. Did we get a metabolic response, whether it was through conditioning or just tension that we delivered? Yep. And then the byproduct of that is, is growth and change. But with our athletes, we're trying to do an efficient style of growth, not bodybuilder that lets them express their full potential in in whatever they may be called upon to do. Yep. All right, guys. So that's it for this week with our athlete case study. Um, You know, we obviously talked about what makes our tactical athletes and we think that's, that's highly reliable, critical thinkers. We talked about what our, our limiters were and why those are important to get rid of for our tactical athletes. And then we talked about certain ways to do it. As always, we look forward to your questions. It really helped us drive this. We're going to do a couple more case studies over the next few weeks with uh kind of competitor style um, athletes. And then some just general fitness athletes uh, who are wanting to work on health and wellness. So we'll do a couple more case studies as always, send us your questions. That's really going to be fun. a good one. Yeah. That's going to be a good one. Cause I think oftentimes people
1: mistake the individual coaching for elite athletes. Like, Everyone needs a coach. Absolutely. <laughs> All the way from Absolutely. the top to the bottom. If you're not having directed training, I don't know what you're doing. Really. I know. I
0: got multiple coaches. It's a beautiful thing. Holds me accountable and it uh, keeps me on track. So, you know, as you guys listen to this, send us your questions, hit us up with some. If you're our athletes and, and you think we were talking about you today, you're probably right. Uh, we love you, but we're trying to make everybody better. Uh, and so, you know, hit us with your questions as well. We always like explaining what we do, we think it separates us. And just keep on sending all the, uh, the great feedback on this stuff, good or bad. It helps us get better. And that's what we're all about. And same to you guys. As always, we'll sign off with our, our mantra of get better every day.